Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez here with my co-host, Brad Binkley. We are joined today by a woman who turned her unspeakable tragedy into a lifetime of work to help others avoid the same fate, as well as helping us all defend our Second Amendment rights against bad laws so that we can defend ourselves against bad people. She is the executive director at the Crime Prevention Research Center, as well as a former executive director of the Congressional Second Amendment Caucus in D.C. Please join us in welcoming Nikki Goser. Thank you so much for being here, Nikki. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, we had recently spoken to John Lott, who recommended we talk to you because we are interested in gun policy. And I am especially interested in research and stats. They're hard to come by. They get discredited even when they're valid. And I really worry that the government or the CDC or whatever will just take over and completely distort the stats. So I just love the work that you guys do. And I have to say, I didn't realize that your work, uh, you worked for Congressman Massey. Is that yeah. correct? <laughs> yeah. You know, like everybody, he's he's like our last chance. After Ron Paul left, like Massey's everybody's last chance. Yeah, he's 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 a fantastic person. He's just um, I don't know. It, I guess for some people, maybe it would be kind of intimidating working for somebody like that, but um he was very, very down to earth. Um he's just a just an all-around nice person. Is, and it, um is he what you see is what you get? Like he is just what you what you think he is. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. And I absolutely loved working for him, but I, I only stayed for a year and um, he wanted me to stay on. But I told him, I, I said, Thomas, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't stand D.C. This, oh, my gosh. This place yes. is awful. Like I love I love working for you. You're one of the best bosses I've ever had. Um, this has been an honor for me, but I can't stand DC. The cost of living is horrible. Traffic is horrible. People are generally not nice here. Um, and I miss home. I I miss Tennessee. And, uh, I think, you know, he understood. I mean, he, he knows DC sucks. I know that crowd would not be your cup of tea. Although I thought, the way you handled your congressional testimony on red flag laws was really very polished. And I just I could never keep my nerves down the way you did. But I guess having been exposed to that crowd, maybe you were better prepared for it than otherwise you would have been. But it was very impressive. We'll attach it in the show notes. Really good stuff. Um, so so. And in that testimony, it was very clear that your personal experiences I'm sure drive you, but also inform your position on some of these policies. And I'm hoping and I know and it's a very it's actually a very hard story to hear. And so I imagine how hard a story it is to tell. And I hope that you wouldn't mind just giving us a little um, shorter version or however much you can tell us about your personal experience and how you got here and how um, maybe even the work you do and people will see the connection. Sure. Um... Well, back in 2009, um, I was I was just regular lady living my regular happy life, you know, married and newlywed. I'd only been married for a little over a year. I was a financial aid advisor at a college 
And my husband, Ben, and I were running um, a mobile karaoke business in the evenings as a side job. Um, you know, we both had regular corporate jobs, you know, uh, during the day. But um, I, my life totally changed just like that. Um, a karaoke customer, a guy that would come out and sing, uh, started having an unhealthy interest in me and he started stalking me and, um, he came in, I realized, um, we were running our mobile karaoke show at a restaurant and he came in, I had already, um, you know, deleted and blocked this guy from my social media because he creeped me out. He was inappropriate. Um, ben had already asked him to leave me alone and he shows up and I realize, okay, yeah, this guy's stalking me. He's more than just a creeper. He's more than just a weirdo. He's more than just a dedicated karaoke customer. Yeah, this guy's stalking me. So I asked management to please help me, you know, this guy's stalking me. Can you please get him out of here? And when they confronted him to ask him to leave, he pulled a 45 from underneath his jacket and shot my husband in the head. He then stood over Ben and continued to, to fire six more rounds into him. I will probably wonder for the rest of my life if I could have prevented that. Um, but I'll never know. I was denied a chance. I was stalked and defenseless because of Tennessee state law at that time, the laws changed now, but at that time you were not allowed to bring in a permitted legal firearm for self-defense in any uh, restaurant if they also served any alcohol. So I obeyed the law. I left my legal handgun locked inside of my vehicle that night. Of course, the man who was stalking me did not have a permit to carry. He brought a gun in illegally into the middle of a gun-free zone. And, um, you know, obviously we have laws against murder. He didn't care about that law. There were so many laws broken. And I have tried to educate people about the dangers of gun-free zones and how they, they actually make people, good people vulnerable. And it's, I believe, <laughs> it is something that bad guys look at and say, hey, you know, I can go and harm someone there and they're completely helpless. They can't fight back. What better place to get a high body bag count? We see so many of these mass public shootings occur. 94% occur in gun-free zones. Your story reminds me of Susanna Grazia Hupp, who was of the Luby's massacre. She watched both of her parents get killed by a mass shooter, and she has the exact same reason. She left her gun in the car because of a newly passed law that prohibited her from bringing it into that establishment. And she feels confident that she could stop that guy. Like there's no question in her mind. And, uh, and people don't understand that these laws are just of the mind. Like it's only if you comply, they have absolutely no teeth whatsoever in the moment. And that is a harsh reality of the need to actually be able to defend yourself, even because of self-defense is a split second thing and you have to be right there and i just I, I that those laws also like waiting periods tend to have i think i might have learned this in, in some of the reading i did of lots 
that waiting periods can have a similar impact in that the people who want a gun in a hurry are often victims of domestic violence who feel in imminent danger. And somebody who is a hardened criminal very rarely is gun murder the first crime somebody commits or they get a gun with a permit to commit a gun murder right off the bat in in an urgent situation. And the domestic violence people, I think the victims of domestic violence are also people who suffer from the red flag laws um, that I think you were talking about. So so this was 12 years ago. And and then um, so did you then immediately, I mean, how did you decide to pursue it as a, you know, as a, as a, a life's work to kind of make sure this kind of thing, at least people knew about it, if not to prevent it? Right. Well, I knew immediately I needed to speak out. Um, it was something that I felt very strongly about. Um, and I realized that it was more than just me, you know, dealing with horrible circumstances like this. Um, I knew of, of, of other situations where, you know, this had happened and unfortunately it continues to happen and I'm tired, I'm sick and I'm tired of seeing really horrible things happen to very good people because they're left helpless. And I, I want these things to change. I know that Ben would want these things to change. Um, He would want something positive to come out of this. And I just, I believe that good law abiding people should be able to protect themselves and their loved ones. And, um, you know, obviously bad guys don't care about the law. Now, does it mean that we should have no laws at all? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we need laws that actually make sense and help people. This does not help good people to make so, them helpless. So let's talk about the red flag laws. And but first, I wanted to insert a an observation that Mr. Lott made that I thought was really people don't think about this and it distorts the understanding of the problem. And I think it goes to what you're saying is that they, the stats almost always refer to gun homicides and they, if you dig in, it'll even sometimes actually say murder, but the definition will be intentional killing with a gun, intentional killing with a gun as a po- which will lump self-defense in with the uh, the murder. So those are those are gun homicides you want are the self-defense ones. And to the extent that they're literally trying to prevent those two, they're really trying to prevent those two. And it's hard to pull out those stats. I should probably look at your website and I'm sure they're there, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are more. More of them are those are those than innocent victim murders. They're actually defensive. So by disarming people who've actually even used guns for homicide, that in itself would have led to more innocent people dying. And I think people don't understand the nuances of how many gun how how many crimes are prevented from uh, you know, just as gun ownership in general, whether it's legal or not, the vast majority probably of gun use is prevention. Yeah, so, we have yeah. we have a section on our website where we have um, justifiable self-defense um, cases. So you can just go to our website and go to the search bar and type it in and it'll give you every single case that we can find where people um, defend themselves or others legally. And you'll see that there's, there are stories all across the nation 
And unfortunately, the mainstream media just does not cover it um, a lot. You'll see like local media cover it, but right. you're right. not going to see it from the CNNs and the MSNBC or, you know, you're not. So is it crimeprevention.org? Is that your or is it crimeresearch.org? Crimeresearch.org. OK, so it's the Crime Prevention Research Center, but it's crimeresearch.org. OK, mm-hmm. so you were in D.C., uh, at a hearing in front of a committee discussing a proposed red flag law or just red flag laws in general, the model law or, you know, what, were trying, they, what are they doing? They're trying to incentivize um, states to take up red flag laws. More of the states, of course, you know, some states already have it, but they want to incentivize more and more states to take on their own red flag laws. And um, I testified uh, basically saying, look, I am opposed to red flag laws and here's why. I'm a victim of stalking. I'm a victim of a violent crime. Um, Obviously, I had a very difficult time um, during all of that after that. Um, Did I have nightmares? Absolutely, I did. Who wouldn't? Um, You know, did I have some depression? Yeah. Who wouldn't? You know, that's pretty normal. I think that's a normal human reaction to something that horrific. And, um, you know, with red flag laws, what's so scary is, you know, there's no real due process first. Your guns are taken first. And so you're guilty until you can prove that somehow, you know, you're innocent. And that's not the way our our country is supposed to work. Our constitution, you know, it says you are innocent until you're proven guilty. To have your second amendment right, your basic human right of self-defense stripped away from you before due process occurs, I think is absolutely unconstitutional, but it can have real negative impact on people like victims like myself. And I'll give an example, if you don't mind. What is the but the red flag laws is like basically anyone can call the cops even anonymously. And Mm -hmm. that that's a flag that the cops can then, based on that alone, go take guns right away from you, a law abiding person. Right. Pretty much. I mean, look, you know, (laughs) I remember having nightmares and I remember thinking to myself, you know what, if the good Lord wants to take me in the middle of the night, I am perfectly okay with that because this is really difficult. Now, was I suicidal? No, but was I having a hard time? Absolutely. Yeah, it was difficult. But you can see where someone who may be very, even very well-meaning, a friend or family member may misinterpret that. And next thing you know, police are at the door. Hey, we're here to take your guns. You know, there are people that are concerned about you. Um, That would have been devastating. That would have been trauma on top of trauma for someone like me. Um, A stalker murdered my husband right in front of me. And to have my basic human right of self-defense taken away would have absolutely just destroyed me at that time in my life when I felt extremely vulnerable. I wanted to be able to protect myself. So, you know, I think if someone's dealing with depression, 
and you go and do that in a situation like like mine, you're going to make the problem so much worse. And um, I think that it's normal for some people that, that go through horrible things. Victims are going to be depressed. It doesn't mean they're going to commit suicide. You know, you should be allowed to go through that normal human reaction. Now, you know, if, if there is real solid proof that someone is indeed a danger to themselves and others, then there's another option. And it's called the Baker Act. Different states call it different things, but it's pretty much the same given, you know, the laws vary just a little bit across different states. But you can put the per person on a 72-hour hold if you're really concerned that they might be a danger to themselves or others. A mental health expert actually speaks with that person. With red flag laws, that's not always the case. I think there's only a, a few states that even mention mental health experts being involved. Um, if you cannot afford an attorney with the Baker Act, an attorney is provided for you. That's not the case with red flag laws. Wow. Thousands of dollars to I mean, hire that. That's really unconstitutional because the reason that it's the, it's the only thing I could find in the Constitution where you're actually given something like that, the government pays for something, you're entitled to something. And it's because it is there to protect you against government overreach. It's outrageous that they could actually violate your rights without due process, which I consider to have to go all the way to trial and stuff. I don't think that people who are accused of being mentally ill or um, uh should have less rights than somebody who's accused of murder. I mean, that just makes no sense to me. So I would say the due process doesn't even has to be constitutional due process, which I would even object to, to the lower bar. I think the Supreme Court has laid on that, but I think it should be all the way. I mean, I, I don't think you should your life or liberty should be taken without a a jury trial, honestly, much less a, a mental health professional there. And they don't even get that much. Right. I mean, I was on a no fly list once. They didn't even tell really? me. And it was just out of confusion because of my name, Monica Perez. I lived in Texas. I think they're like the drug war was on full force. And I would lose. Yeah. I would miss planes all the time. And they didn't tell me I was on it. So I didn't even know. And that is the kind of danger I think you have when you don't have due process. You don't have the right to object. Right. Wow. Yeah. So. You know, at least with the Baker Act, I mean, would it be pleasant? No, it's not going to be pleasant to be taken in for a 72 hour hold. But at least in that situation myself, at least I would be able to say, look, here's the situation. You know, let me tell you about what I've been through here. And no, I'm not suicidal. And I would have the ability to go before a judge and, ex and plead my case. And, you know, with the red flag laws, your rights are taken. They're taken. And First. think about how empowering that is to people who just don't like you or to cops who have a beef with you or even lawyers and cops. I mean, we have seen levels of corruption where they make industries, entire industries out of bad laws like this, that I mean, if if lawyers are getting paid to defend people or mental health professionals, I'm not saying they themselves would go in there, but before long, the bar would be lowered and things would get truly abused. Look at asset forfeiture where they can take people's property without any conviction for drugs, just an accusation. And that 
has led to rampant abuse. And then you I, I can only just imagine pretty immediately after red flag laws come into effect. They have see something, say something campaigns where they actually encourage people to rat on the neighbors to see shadows everywhere, to think somebody who maybe has a different political viewpoint. I mean, that's a trend right now. You have a different political you're you're batshit to people who disagree with you. So that the potential for abuse to me is just mind boggling. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me tell you, talk about abuse. I, I saw this firsthand. Um, I helped Tennessee get a law created recently. It's the Lifetime Order of Protection Law. And I was actually the very first Tennessean that was granted a Lifetime Order of Protection from my stalker, who, by the way, has been stalking me from prison. Oh, my gosh. Twisted love letters from prison for years. So now I'm going to have to face this guy in court again. Same guy. But um. When I went to court to get the lifetime order of protection, I'm sitting there with my my friends waiting to be heard, you know, for my case to come up. And I had to wait several hours. So I'm hearing all these other cases. I'm sitting there in the courtroom and you would not believe how many cases were dismissed by the judge. People were there, not for a lifetime order, just for a basic order of protection. And some of these stories were just, you would sit there and think, this is so fake. Like, this is not serious. This is somebody making stuff up just to get back. Harass somebody. Harass someone. Yeah. And the judge to go through all that trouble. Whereas a false, a red flag law, a false flag law, a red flag law, you just probably have to make a phone call. I'm guessing you don't have to go to court to file a red flag against somebody. Right. So that right there showed me, you know, I, I had never experienced that before, but to sit there and I had a legitimate case, right? you know, to have to sit there and listen to all of these cases get dismissed because. And you, you know, won that case. Yeah. Right. You yeah. got the lifetime protection order from the, your stalker mm-hmm. is the man who killed your husband in front of you. Mm-hmm. And he is communicating with you or has communicated with you from jail, which I, uh, of course, would heighten your fears and fear. And, you know, Michelle or Nicole Simpson put in a P.O. box pictures of herself being abused and saying, like, something bad's going to happen. People thought she was paranoid and, you know, something bad happened. So just the more fearful you are, the the more people can think that you're seeing things. But in this case, it's very clear that this guy is a real threat to you. Absolutely. And, you know, do I truly believe that lifetime order protection is, is going to protect me? No, not really. Well, but I feel like it's important to have on the record. Right. Because he's going to be released and that's, he says he's released. That's insane. How, how could that possibly happen? A liberal judge. A liberal judge only gave him 23 years at 100% with no parole, but he's been allowed early release good behavior credit. So he only has to serve like 19, 19 and a half years. So he's said to be released in, in the fall of 2028. And it's terrifying. Can his communication with you be used against him in that and keep him in for at least the 23 years, which isn't enough, obviously. It should be forever. Right. Um, well, I'm going back to court. Yeah. Um, the, the, the feds have charged him um, with 
federal stalking. Um, but unfortunately, it's only a max of five years that he could potentially face. Wow. Um, I mean, they this offer is you like, any protection yeah. for with like you're going to court to see him again and he there's a possibility of he, him getting out. What do they say to you? Because this is obviously I mean, he's obviously, you know, harassing you, stalking you still. Do they offer you any sort of reassurance? You know, I think they're just bound by the law and the law. Not really. I mean, the law says that the max is five years. And I think even at that, even if he gets the max, he's still allowed early release good behavior credits on the federal time. Isn't that it's bad crazy. behavior to stalk somebody from prison? <laughs> yeah. I don't think that is bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty obvious to me. Um, I'm still fighting tooth and nail to get, you know, the state of the state the Tennessee Department of Correction are the ones that have given him the early release at the state level. And um, I'm like, look, that's not good behavior. He should have to serve that full 23 years. It's directly related to the crime. It should be definitely yeah. bad behavior. It, yeah, it's, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my message to everyone is protect yourself and your loved ones. You don't want to go through this. Um, you know, you, I don't want people to be paranoid, but I, I do want them to be prepared. Unfortunately, there um, is a pool in the world and you've got to be able to protect yourself. You cut out a little bit, but I want to ask you a question because I, you know, I'm a mom. I have kids. I have a son who has Down syndrome and I worry about having guns in the house. But I also know that I'm just uh, you know, you're vulnerable. There's, there's as, as Larry, I think it was Larry Pratt said, like you're, maybe it was the, the um, NRA guy, like you're, when there's a, when you're faced with a bad guy with a gun, like the last thing you need, you, you want to do is just hope a good guy with a gun shows up. But on a more practical level, do you, how did you get comfortable with having a gun in the first place? Like, how do you come from that culture? Is there a way for, I live in LA. It's, it's not the most gun friendly place. Although I have been to a shooting range out here. I have a friend who will help me with that. But I mean, I think people are afraid of arming themselves who aren't part of that culture. And uh, with, you know, really leaves you vulnerable. Any advice to us who are like that? Well, um, I mean, I grew up, around guns i grew up around 18th century long rifles my dad did a lot of reenactments um 18th century reenactments and um so you know i was around his guns but he never really taught me about them or how to use them all i was taught was do not touch you know right um which was good you know but i uh i wish he would have kind of worked with me um, on gun safety, and because I, I do believe that parents need to teach their children gun safety. Um, it takes away like that natural yeah. curiosity, you know, make sure that that they're safe. And, um, you know, obviously, young children, you want to teach them do not touch. And, um, you know, kids need to have respect for guns and, and know that, you know, a gun is, is a serious thing. It, it can be used um, to protect people. But if you're not careful, you could 
accidentally hurt someone else. So, um, but no, I, I, it wasn't until I was in my twenties, I had a, um, a friend that was a United States Marine and he was a sniper and he taught me how to shoot. Right. And then I became interested in, you know, shooting and kind of self-defense. I ended up taking my handgun carry permit class and, um, I've carried ever since 2008. Are you an advocate of permitting registries? I mean, I'll 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 let you go in just a sec. But are there any you know common sense gun laws that you propose? Because I'm an anarchist, so I totally think that <laughs> I think that a society is self ordering. You know, I don't. I'm not looking for mayhem. I really think that society that we actually have more uh, dysfunction with this enormous state that absorbs half of our resources and has a conflict of interest. If they're selling us security, you better be sure they want us to feel insecure. So I actually think that we live in a less safe world because of the way the government treats us. But I don't want to uh, put those words in your mouth. But I, when I hear the expression common sense gun laws, like that just makes my skin crawl. And I just wonder if there's anything you are in favor of in that in limiting or defining the Second Amendment, no judgment, just interested in what you have to say. Just about the only thing that I would support is obviously, um, I don't think that violent criminals, violent felons should own guns. But you, you can forfeit your right to bear arms by bad behavior. Right. Like when this guy is released. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> right. This is someone who should never be allowed to own guns now, right. even. Th- but I tell people, I'm like, don't be so Pollyanna. Like, don't be so naive to believe that just because there's a law that says you are a convicted felon. You know, and you're violent, you've got a violent history. Do you really believe that someone is going to follow that law? I mean, look, this guy, if he wants to get a gun, he'll get it the same way people get illegal drugs in this country. Yeah. On but, the street, in the black market. And but, so good people got to protect themselves. It would be a way to get him back in jail. So I, I believe innocent people, you should absolutely have a, be convicted from a jury of your peers to lose any rights. And I would say somebody like that, as part of his sentence, should have been like on a case by case basis, you have forfeited your right to have a gun forever, especially since it was a, a gun murder. And then then if he got out, I mean, what you need to do is get him back in if he gets out. So it wouldn't be a bad thing to have on the books. And I, I, I would say that is the only case I would say you can limit somebody's gun rights. But yeah, of course, your rights shouldn't be limited I disagree with the waiting periods, too, and um, the mental health stuff, because those are all things that go together, especially with domestic violence, when sometimes the only equalizer you can possibly hope for is a gun. Yeah, I mean, the waiting period, I think (laughs) that's ridiculous. Look, anybody that has studied, especially like mass public shooters, anyone that's looked at their manifestos, at their writings and their diaries and stuff because they plan this stuff out you know months sometimes even years in advance these get these people really plan this stuff out so a waiting period 
is not going to prevent someone, you know, that determined, but a waiting period will prevent someone like, you know, myself, some woman out there who is, is being stalked, who's scared. She needs to have a way to protect herself quickly. You know, she's a law abiding person. She's, she's, she needs to get a gun to protect herself and she can't right away because she's, She's got this waiting period and, um, you know, that can be very dangerous and detrimental to a, a lot of people out there that need to protect themselves. Yeah. And I think the stats support that. So, Nikki, I want to thank you so much for your time. I find your story so powerful because it really is the exact I mean, it really brings together that the what they call unintended, but who knows consequences of policies that for one reason or another, they put a lot of effort into making popular and they just won't let us have intelligent conversations about them in the mainstream and the work that you do and John Lott does at the Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, to me is invaluable in making making the argument. Maybe you're not going to get it in on CNN. You're not going to persuade the people who already have made up their mind and science and stats won't persuade them. But there are a lot of people who can use that to inform themselves and inform others. So I think that's just a really invaluable um, resource. And I also didn't want to say the name of your book up front because I wanted you to tell the story, but you also wrote a book, Stalked and Defenseless, How Gun Control Helped My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me. I mean, that is really, it's a powerful statement and a powerful story. And we really appreciate your time and the work that you do. And anytime you have a call to action or something that you want to call attention to, please let us know. We can shout it out. We can have you back on. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. All right. Good Thank luck you. in your efforts, Nikki. Thanks. Thanks.